Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a rating and review. You can also support the podcast at Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Bairdo, B-A-I-R-D-O. Now in the history of aviation, there have been several famous Canadians all the way up to Chris Hadfield, but it is likely none were as famous, respected, or as well-known in their time as Wilfred Reed May, better known as Wop May. Born in Carberry, Manitoba on March 20th, 1896, Wap May would move to Edmonton at the age of six, where the family stayed with other family and friends. It was there that his two-year-old cousin Mary began calling him Wappy, because she could not pronounce Wilfred. This evolved into the nickname of Wap. In 1916, May joined the Canadian Army and quickly rose through the ranks to become a sergeant and gunnery instructor by the end of the year. The next year, he was shipped to England with the 202nd Battalion where he applied to join the Royal Flying Corps. Things did not get off to a great start, with his first flight ending in the accidental destruction of his own aircraft and another. Despite this, he was accepted into the program and May went through training in October of 1917 and graduated in February of 1918. By April 9th, he was promoted to lieutenant and he was flying with the Royal Air Force. The commander of his new squadron, the number 209 squadron, was Roy Brown, his former school friend. May began to fly with a Sopwith Camel and was then sent to France. And his first aerial combat came on April 20th when he fought a Fokker triplane which crashed on its own accord. The following day, only his second day in the air, the first part of the legend of Wap May began. The 209 squadron was on patrol and May was ordered by Brown to stay out of the fight and just keep an eye out since he was still pretty new to flying. At 10am, the squadron began attacking a group of German triplanes. May, circling above, saw another plane, a German one, doing the exact same, and he decided he's going to initiate an attack. May began firing at the plane, which was being flown by a young man who had also been given orders to sit out of the fight and just watch. That man's name was Wolfram von Richthofen, the cousin of Manfred von Richthofen, also known as the Red Baron. Now the Red Baron was in this fight, and he saw his cousin being attacked, and he flew to his rescue and began to fire at May, thereby saving the life of his cousin. Years later, May would speak on the incident and being fired upon by the greatest World War I ace of them all. The first thing I knew, I was being fired on from the rear. All I could do was try and dodge my attacker. I noticed it was a red triplane, and if I had realized it was Richthofen, I would have probably passed out on the spot. I kept on dodging and spinning, and I imagined from 12,000 feet until I ran out of the sky and had to hedge hop over the ground. Richthofen was firing at me continually, and the only thing that saved me was my poor flying. I didn't know what I was doing myself, and I do not suppose that Richthofen could figure out what I was going to do. Brown noticed the Baron chasing after May, and he dove steeply to intervene, and then had to climb steeply to avoid hitting the ground. Richthofen avoided the attack and then resumed pursuing May, and while in the fight with May, Richthofen was hit with a single 303 bullet, which damaged his heart and lungs, and he died almost instantly, but he was able to stay alive long enough 
to land his plane, albeit a rough landing. Now it's not known who exactly killed the Red Baron. While some believe that it was Brown, others think it may have been May. While there is some evidence to say it was a person on the ground, probably Cedric Popkin, who shot the Red Baron. No matter who shot and killed the Red Baron, May was an integral part of the battle and his legend was being cemented from this point on. Over the remainder of the war, May would shoot down 13 enemy aircraft that were confirmed and 5 that are likely. He would reach the rank of captain and was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross. On December 3, 1918, following his medal awarding, the London Gazette stated, This officer has carried out numerous offensive and low bombing patrols, proving himself on all occasions a bold and daring pilot. His keenness and disregard of personal danger is worthy of the highest praise. On May 8, 1919, he relinquished his RAF commission and entered civilian life. July 7th, he was issued a civilian pilot license. Upon his return to Canada, May and his brother rented a Curtis JNR and started May Airplanes Limited, thereby opening Canada's first aeroport in a rented pasture known as Mayfield, which today is the Mayfield neighborhood of Edmonton. The company would appear at various functions over the next year, becoming one of the first barnstorming companies in the world. In September of 1919, May's company was hired by the Edmonton Police Chief to take part in the manhunt for John Larson, who'd killed a police officer and one other individual. May flew James Campbell, an Edmonton police detective, to Edson, about two hours west of Edmonton. Since the community had no airport or proper field to land in, May landed on the street. Larson was soon caught, and it is believed this is the first time an aircraft was used in a manhunt, and for May, it would not be the last. Not long after the manhunt, George Gorman joined the company and became May Gorman Airplanes Limited. In early 1921, the company was hired by Imperial Oil to fly two Junker aircraft, both equipped with skis from New York to Edmonton. These two planes were then to be used in the Northwest Territories to service proposed oil developments along the Mackenzie River at an area that would one day be known as Norman Wells. The two planes were flown into the Northwest Territories and into the subarctic which was a first for any plane, proving that aircraft could operate in freezing temperatures. In 1922, his brother died suddenly, which would have a deep impact on May, who would begin to lose his enthusiasm for flying. In 1924, May married Violet Bode and decided to work for National Cash Register in Dayton, Ohio, giving up his life in the sky. And while working on a lathe, he took a shard of steel in the eye and slowly went blind in that eye over the next 15 years. The life on the ground did not last, and May soon realized his calling was to be in the sky. In 1927, he came back to Edmonton and formed the Edmonton and North Alberta Flying Club, becoming a flying instructor. And this club is the first flying club in Canada. In December of 1928, the second part of May's legend would begin with the race against death. Now, I won't go into too much detail on this part, because I released an episode a few weeks ago about the race against death. Essentially, with fears of a diphtheria outbreak in the remote northern Alberta community of Little Red River and Port Vermilion, a relay of individuals sent a telegram to Edmonton requesting immediate serums to be sent. It quickly fell on Watt May, who was in town at the time, to take the flight with Vic Horner, a fellow member of his flight club. On January 2nd, May left in an Avro Avian and landed at McClellan for the night just before 4pm, 
After refueling Peace River, the men continued their flight to Fort Vermilion, where they landed at 3 p.m. They quickly handed over the serum and flew back to Peace River, where they remained until January 7th to repair engine damage. And by the time they reached Edmonton, and did this round trip of about 2,000 kilometers in sub-zero temperatures in an open cockpit, it was so cold in one point, the silk scarf around May's mouth froze and pulled the skin of his lips off when he took it off. They landed in Edmonton, and a media circus had erupted as news spread about the race against death. They were mobbed by thousands of people who came out to celebrate them, and they were hailed as heroes. With the immense positive press for May and Horner, May was able to start a new company, Commercial Airways, which would provide air service to Northern Canada. In 1929, May would be awarded the Trans-Canada McPhee Trophy, which is awarded by the Canadian Aeronautics and Space Institute to a Canadian citizen who has made an outstanding contemporary achievement in aerospace operations. That same year, he flew the first airmail to the Canadian Arctic. In 1932, the third legendary exploit of May would occur. Albert Johnson, also known as the Mad Trapper, had shot and wounded an RCMP officer. This started a long chase that became front page news. Johnson would then go on to kill Constable Edgar Millen, and May was hired to help find Johnson, who had disappeared after killing the officer. On February 13th in the Northwest Territories, May saw footprints from the air, leading off from caribou tracks in the middle of a river. It was discovered that Johnson had been following caribou tracks to hide his own, but had to venture off that trail when the night came. The next few days, the RCMP followed the trail and found Johnson on February 17th. A firefight broke out, and Johnson was killed and one RCMP officer was injured. May flew down and landed next to the officer, put him in his plane, and flew him 201 kilometers to a doctor, and this action saved the life of the officer. Years later, May would state, I was up overhead when RCMP inspector Alex Eames was coming around the bend of the river. Johnson tried to run up the bank to get out of his way. He didn't have his snowshoes on and he couldn't make it, so he came back into the center of the river, dug himself into the snow, and the fight started. We were up on top, circling, watching the fight and taking pictures of it. In 1935, May would become an officer of the Order of the British Empire with the rank of Officer in the Civil Division. By the time the Second World War came along, Canada not only sent troops, but was also instrumental in the British Commonwealth Air Training Plan, which set up airfields across the country to train pilots. At Number 2 Air Observer School in Edmonton, he was the commander, and also the supervisor of all Western schools. Also during the Second World War, the United States was sending aircraft to the Soviet Union, which involved many planes going through Edmonton with several planes crashing because of mechanical problems and with no way of getting the injured pilot out of the isolated areas of canada it was decided that a division of parachute jumpers would be created so that they could drop into sites stabilize pilots and move them out of the bush may became heavily involved in this and the pararescue teams proved to be invaluable throughout the war and thanks to his work with the program may was awarded the medal of freedom with bronze palm in 1947 by the united states air force May would later state, It was hard to get at them, and they could not land, and that was what gave us the idea for the rescue squad. A fellow said he had done all kinds of parachute jumps, and I wanted to see him put on a demonstration. He and four besides himself jumped. Not one of them had jumped before. We kicked them out over the airport. 
One guy landed on the wing of an aeroplane and went right through it. The other guy landed on the American officer's mess, and another guy landed flat-footed on the runway. It was not very good. We tried again, and the next guy came down wrong, landed on his fanny on a pile of rock, and he bounced about six feet. I got nervous and I thought I would not like to see these fellows jump in the bush. We talked to the Americans. There was this fine fellow by the name of Colonel Nightingale, and he arranged that we send some people to Missoula, Montana, where they train smoke jumpers. We got these people started, and then we got them organized and trained more people, and used them until the end of the war. The Air Force thought so much of them, they took over our complete unit and operated it as a search and rescue unit. Now following the war, Watmay was employed by the Canadian Pacific Railways as the Director of Northern Development, followed by becoming the manager of the company's repair depot. Sadly, on June 21, 1952, May suffered a stroke while out hiking in Utah with his son, Denny, and he'd be buried in Edmonton. Following his death, May would be honored extensively in the coming decades. Today, the aircraft used by May with May Airplanes Limited hangs in the lobby of the Royal Alberta Museum. In 1974, May was declared a National Historic Person, and a plaque honoring him was installed in Edmonton in 1978. Stompin' Tom Connors would release a song called Wap May, as with the Gumboats and John Spurn. From out of all the heroes of the land, there comes a mighty man, a the man. He left his home in Carberry for Edmonton, Alberta, where he went to school and soon became a man. Now Orville and Wilbur Wright had come to fame, and every night he dreamt about their name. And when for men there came a cry, he bid the folks at home goodbye to join the war and fly an aeroplane. What may, what may, he met the old Red Baron far away. Wap May, Wap May, the top Canadian pilot of the day. Wap May, the top Canadian pilot of the day. He was also inducted into Canada's Aviation Hall of Fame. In 2004, the Mars Exploration Rover Opportunity located a rock on the south slope of Endurance Crater on Mars, measuring one meter. And the rock was named Wap May, in honor of May. There also exists the Wap May Fault Zone which is west of Hudson's Bay along the Watmay River, where the earliest mountains in the world appeared two billion years ago. That same year, in 2004, he was chosen as one of the 100 greatest citizens of the century for Edmonton. The airport in Fort Vermillion is also named Watmay Memorial Aerodrome. There was a little airplane that looks an awful lot like this, but that's a wonderful replica up there of the Avian. Uh, if you think about that, this is 1929. It was on wheels. It was an open cockpit. Uh, there was no radios. Shortly, this airport will be renamed to the Wapme Memorial Airport, the direct recognition of Wilfred Reed Wapme's courageous efforts during his 1929 first flight from Edmonton to Fort Vermillion. May's 1929 flight enabled the community of Fort Vermillion to receive and distribute medicine required to fight the outbreak of an infection. One interesting thing of note is that The Hunt for the Mad Trapper would become a movie in 1981. It was called Death Hunt and it starred Charles Bronson. 
and in that movie, May was called Captain Tucker, who fired at everyone on the ground, including the officers who shot back at him and caused him to crash into a mountain. Needless to say, Hollywood certainly took liberties with that movie. But there's no fiction in describing Wat May and his legendary exploits from the air. From fighting with the Red Baron himself, to saving thousands of lives, from fighting with the Red Baron, saving hundreds of lives in the North, to hunting down criminals, and much more. Wat May is truly a legend. Information for this piece comes from Wikipedia, the Canadian Encyclopedia, and WapMay.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Canadian History X, and if you did, please give it a rating and review. You can also reach me through email at crwbaird at gmail.com, and you can find hundreds of articles on Canada's history on my website at canadax.blogspot.ca. That's